Welcome to I'm Anxious About, a podcast where two friends commiserate about our respective anxieties on a new topic each week. I'm Christopher Mitchell. And I'm Allison Green. And today we are anxious about driving. irrelevant to me right now because my license has currently expired and I haven't been able to renew it. But generally speaking, I have a lot of anxiety about driving and being driven. So this is going to be a chatty one on my end. (laughs) I know you're not quite as vehicularly challenged as I am, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be one of those episodes where I'm going to be less anxious about it. But I think it's important we do those episodes anyways. I mean, like, you're not quite as anxious about silence. But you know, we had to go there because that's just a big part of my makeup for better or for worse. And the other thing too, that's worth mentioning, I think is that if you, you know, for example, typed into Google, like, things people are anxious about, or, you know, what are people most commonly anxious about? Definitely driving is up there, right? And Mm -hmm. it's not confusing to me why that would be. There's plenty of uncertainty. For sure, if you're somebody who has a propensity to think about all the things that could happen, I mean, driving is like anything could theoretically happen, not to make anyone anxious about driving already. And we also hope that you aren't listening to this while you are driving and getting anxious. So like, this might be a good one for like home listening. If you're I was going to per- say. Yeah, if you're typically a commuter while you listen to this, maybe don't this one. I don't know. Or maybe it'll be cathartic. Who knows? But Yeah, like we'll get to the cathartic place where we wrap everything nicely up with the bow. But there could be a few moments where, you know, we don't necessarily want to be planting those seeds. So I think yeah. we can just say listener discretion is advised. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Well, I'm happy we got that out there. Didn't say anything too controversial just yet. But anyways, I think it'll be a good episode. You know, I actually quite like driving in certain situations. But at the same time, too, it's not as if I'm a man void of empathy. I, I totally understand why one could be anxious about driving. And, and it's one of these instances where I'm grateful I'm not anxious about absolutely everything, right? I mean, we all have our things which make us more anxious than others. So And I think it's also important to remember that liking something is not the opposite of anxiety. Mm. Liking something can coexist with having anxiety about it. Very true. So like I like driving in that like I love the freedom it gives me and the ability to have road trips and all the positive things of having a car. I also just fucking hate being behind the wheel sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Yeah, it's just anxiety is multifaceted. And even with things that you love, like restaurants, like on one of our first episodes, mm-hmm. we also have moments that we might not love during that overall positive experience. So it's just sort of looking yeah. more holistically at how anxiety affects just these random day-to-day things that most people probably don't think about. That's a really good point, actually. That makes a lot of sense. That was a minor aha moment for me too, because it is such a gray area, right? Like it's impossible to say speak about this in terms of black and white. And that's something we've talked about. But you're right. The opposite of anxiety isn't liking something. You certainly can like things and be anxious about it. So very Mm -hmm. good point. Let us post epiphany back up a little (laughs) bit 
And I will ask you how you're doing, do a little check-in for anyone who's a new listener. We seem to be getting a few new listeners these days. We always start our episodes by checking in uh, on a scale that's uh, related to the topic at hand, on a scale of one, two, and then we give an example, um, and 10 would be the most anxious. So today's scale, Allison, on a scale of one to having to merge across six lanes of traffic before the next exit, where are you at? Whew, that is like, <laughs> I actually do feel like my heart rate quickening a little bit because I'm remembering so many times coming from Berkeley going towards Walnut Creek where like I'd have to somehow make it across five lanes of traffic. And then like, as soon as I got to the merging point to take this other highway, then I'd have to get to the very far right lane. And it was just every single time. It didn't take me by surprise, but it was like utter chaos every time. And as I was getting onto that on-ramp, knowing what I had to do, I was already dreading it way before I even had to. So um, that's a very visceral scale for me. And <laughs> even with the sheer terror that I'm you know, grading this against, I would still put myself at about a six. Just having a rough time with some personal matters that I don't really feel like getting into on the podcast, not really relevant. But yeah, it's just been a really challenging week for me on a personal level, and I've had pretty profound anxiety for the last three or four days, and I'm feeling a little bit better today, but still pretty crappy. So yeah, a six even on that scale. So yeah, I was going to say that on related to that scale, I mean, that's an especially yeah. strong, that's a strong six. Yeah. And some would even say it's like a 6.5. Oh, wow. You're putting in a 0.5. You really are. Yeah, struggling. yeah. Yes, I am. It's very much unlike you to put a 0.5. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, all kidding aside, of course, myself and our listeners, I'm sure, respect that. So I will take that back from you and answer it myself. I will also say I have the hardest time imagining any stressful situation when you mention names like Berkeley and Walnut Creek. You know, I'm like, <laughs> that sounds like a place I'd write my next anthology of poetry. Yeah. You know, on my way from Berkeley to Walnut Creek. <laughs> yeah. And then there are like neighborhoods around that make it even more ridiculous sounding. Like the town I went to elementary school in has a neighborhood literally called Happy Valley. Of course. Yeah. Yes. California is some bullshit. I love it, but it's some bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And right next to Pillow Soft Village and... Yeah. Yeah. Candy Cane Lane and Candy all Cane that. Lane, yeah, uh, you know, warmth and hugs, Hamlet. Yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would actually make a real point of never going to warmth and hugs Hamlet because it sounds yeah. sounds very culty. Yeah, it sounds like a trap where you get murdered. It does. Um, yeah. <laughs> random aside, I was like writing a blog post and was looking at a map of I think it was either Arizona or New Mexico. I'm pretty sure it was New Mexico. And I discovered that there's a place in New Mexico called Truth or Consequences. <laughs> like, what the hell? Oh, my gosh. There's some really weird place names in the United States where you're just like, all right, buddy. That sounds a little apocalyptic. Yeah, I was going to say, like, who was heading up that town? A metal band? Like, <laughs> Yeah. It literally sounds like a metal band, but yeah. it's like a, the new album a from small Truth or New Mexico Hamlet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. So um, on this anyway, scale, yeah, on let me ask scale, you. 
So, Chris, on a scale of one to having to merge across six lanes of traffic before reaching your exit, how are you doing today? So, also a scale that does get get my heart rate quickening a little bit. I also have one exit that I think about. Nothing, no beautiful sounding roads. It's the 401 (laughs) exit from the expressway over to Avenue. And then you just have to sweep across four lanes onto uh, Avenue Road. So no no lovely names, but that's one that I think of. And it, it gives you a little bit of anxiety. As far as how I'm doing, giving a number, I won't point five you today, I promise. I think I'm I'm honestly pretty good today, but I'd still have to go with probably a three, if only because on Friday, I forgot I was in my 30s and <laughs> on Zoom drank, you know, the amount of whiskey you would consume if you were 10, 12, 13 years younger than I am. And I'm now paying the consequences for that two days later. And I feel, you know, probably on the scale of anxiety, I feel about a three, but you know, physiologically, biologically, I feel about 81. <laughs> so there's that. I also, you know, I really just don't drink that much anymore. And so sometimes you get caught up in the spirit of the moment. You're like, well, you know, like I don't have anywhere to go. I never see these guys like, it's just, we're all just going to have some whiskey. And before you know it, uh, you know, you wake up the next day and think, I don't know why I thought this was ever going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the things you do at Club Zoom. Yeah, good old Club Zoom. So anyways. The hottest club of 2020 and the only 21. The only club. Yeah. And you know what? The only club that won't kill you. That's right. And you know, all that aside, it was um, wonderful catching up with everybody. But it's definitely, it was a prominent reminder that, you know, we, we're not going to take too many more trips down Whiskey Boulevard with that amount of horsepower. So yeah. Maybe just a bicycle down Whiskey Boulevard. Yeah, just a light light bicycle. I honestly think my voice even sounds a little bit more like fatigued, you know? Like I think I'd be curious if longtime listeners can hear the uh, extended disappointment. No, (laughs) you still sound like the same old praise squirrel to me. Okay. All right. Well, well, that's good. I'm I'm happy to hear it. So (laughs) anyways, I think that was was a fun enough check-in. For some reason, I'm, you know, I don't think we've done an episode on alcohol yet, right? But we probably should. We did hangovers. Okay, we did hangovers. Yes, of course. Of course we did hangovers. But yeah, so I guess we did talk about alcohol. But it's one of those things where you really got to be careful with it with anxiety, right? Because if you Mm -hmm. you cross that threshold, turns out you'll pay the consequence in full. It's like a loan that you take out with 74% interest. Yeah. You know, you're like, you're really going to pay for it. So anyways, we don't want to go back down that boulevard. So let us uh, get in our respective vehicles and talk about uh, anxious driving. Yeah. You knew that metaphor was coming, right? You I knew did. that. Okay. I did. There are okay. plenty of car metaphors accelerating, I'm sure. Yeah, as long as we don't go back, as long as we don't do the damn house metaphor again, which we're so <laughs> set on. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a garage. That's yeah, not no. The same house. No. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you want to start? <laughs> um. Yeah, so I have two separate anxieties and, I mean, two separate categories of anxiety. I have a plethora of sub-anxieties in each category, but (laughs) I am, I would say, like a slightly anxious driver. Like, overall, I'm fairly confident about basic things, but there are things that I get really anxious about. Like, I don't like driving 
when there's heights or like any sort of like fog or just something that like any sort of hazardous condition. I get extremely anxious. Like I did a solo road trip in Iceland that was pure hell. (laughs) And everyone loves Iceland. I only have memories of terror and exhaustion from Iceland (laughs) from doing the solo road trip and like the more remote parts of it where like a lot of it is like gravel roads that are like not big enough for two cars. So like I'd spend my whole time being like, oh my God, what if another car comes up this gravel road on a sheer cliff face while I'm trying to go down to this beach? And I couldn't even turn around and go back. Like it was just one of those things where it's like, oh, I just have to sink into that tower. And I would literally count down like on the odometer. Every time I would go even a 10th of a mile or kilometer or whatever, I would just be like, Okay, I'd notice it. And then every time I would get like one more kilometer, I would be like, you did it. You did a kilometer and like was literally, you know, talking to myself throughout the whole thing because this road was freaking terrifying. It's the Red Sand Beach. I think it's in the West Fjords. Don't go if you have driving anxiety. People don't tell you how scary it is. And also, like, I just want to say I'm pissed off that Iceland is so expensive and still has quite shitty roads in a lot of places. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm not paying $18 for a burger to be terrified on this road. (laughs) Well, the ring (laughs) road, the big, nice road, that's well done on the exterior, right? Yeah. I'm more talking about like in the West Fjords, which is like remote. But come on. It's Iceland. Like everywhere is remote and everything is expensive. You got the money, buddy. (laughs) Just save it, please. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I wanted for for people who don't know for context. Travel writing is both a a forte of ours and, you know, part of our career. I don't want to say, I almost said career package, which just sounded beyond douchey. So I'll recant that, but it's something we both do a lot of. And that's why we were like, oh, yes, I know. (laughs) Isn't that road? When I was traveling in the highlands of da-da-da, like, (laughs) we do occasionally, like, turn into douchebag National Geographic (laughs) pipe smoking assholes. And it's just, it's a hazard of the job. We're sorry. It is. Yeah, we're sorry. But if we're like, yes, oh, that that fjord just didn't quite tickle me as I expected. As a wise monk I met in Nepal once recanted to me, like, regaled oh me. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I don't like those kinds of roads. I don't like driving in Iceland. And I don't <laughs> like, at the same time, so while I don't like those super teeny tiny roads, I also don't like the kinds of massive super highways that you get in the United States where it's just like pure chaos rules the road. Any lane could be going at any speed and people could pass you on any side. Like I much prefer the road system in Europe where there's like the slower lane and the faster passing lane and like you just kind of, you know, deal with that. That makes a lot more sense and has a lot more order. Whereas like in California, it just feels like people are just speeding on either edge of you. And, you know, there's always some like idiot racers, you know, on like zooming up one part of the highway terrifying you and yeah so i don't really like driving california either maybe give me like a nice two-lane country road and i'll be happy as can be so that's my anxiety about driving and i'll let you respond so that you can talk about like your anxieties about you being the driver and then after that we can talk about anxieties about being a passenger because i have 
that too. <laughs> oh, right. Yes. It wouldn't be a true I'm anxious about episode if it wasn't a multifaceted, deep-seated yeah. sort of anxiety. So sort of like a structural flow chart to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So I'm really not terribly anxious about driving. And actually, in some instances, I really have found it to have some like therapeutic value for me. So I think without knowing it, I used to make the drive between Toronto and Kingston. I went to school in Kingston at a school called Queen's University. And that drives about two hours, 15 minutes, maybe two and a half hours or whatever. And I always found that just listening to music and, you know, I don't know, putting the window down a little bit. And the, the two and a half hour drive was what I realized in retrospect was how I sort of mentally readied myself. I took two and a half hours to go from, you know, the mindset of being with family and friends in Toronto to getting prepared to, you know, head back to school, hit the books and the bars probably, but really just to acclimatize myself to all that it would I, I'd need to do to, you know, kind of do the best I could in that place. So I used that without realizing it for my betterment, for my mental betterment. Mm -hmm. At the same time too, you know, I would be you know, remiss to say that sometimes driving isn't anxiety inducing. I've found, especially recently, if I'm driving, there's just, um, I kind of think about it as like, it's just kind of easier to light a match right now. The, the sparks are flying a little bit more intensely. So yeah. people are driving a little bit faster. They're a little bit quicker to throw the finger. I'm just seeing stuff. Like I had to go pick something up today, this morning before we recorded the drive was 23 minutes, uh, which I know everyone was really curious about to get the exact number. <laughs> there. But the drive was 23 minutes. Within that drive, I saw a person swerving back and forth inexplicably in front of me. I saw an accident happen and I saw a brawl break out in the middle of the street between two people. And I don't think that was an unusual day right now. <laughs> so the anxiety I kind of have around driving right now is it's actually more related to the fact that I feel like driving is when, when people are on edge, when people get behind the wheel, it's sort of their excuse to let out their like inner Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> and so when they're on these roads, they, they get in the car as Bruce Banner, but like one thing happens and then they're Hulk mode. And I'm noticing I'm plugging into something which is like concerning from a sociological level where I'm like, I don't really <laughs> want to drive right now just because there is, you know, that extra level of uncertainty where I can't really trust the other drivers on the road. And and this goes back to like when I was 16 years old, I had a, um, I was driving a 1991 Honda Civic, which was just a beauty. Couldn't even really get her up to like 130 or 40 on the highway, which is like what people are driving right now. But anyways, great car, great memories. But I remember I would head out and drive and my mom would always say, you know, be careful or whatever. And of course you're 16 or 17 and have just an unusual amount of bravado, you know, like just a, what some would say unacceptable amount of bravado. And you're like, I'm going to be fine. And my mom always had this classic line that was, it's not you I'm worried about. It's the other drivers. <laughs> and it's true, right? I mean, this is uh, something we have to accept. But I think on a personal level, I really enjoy driving. But I also am not naive enough to not understand that this does come with some risk, especially right now when things are, everything feels elevated and inflated a bit and more tense, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
For sure. And just also the worst case scenario of like going to a hospital, you're like, well, can they take care of me sometimes? If, you know, if you were in a car accident in the LA area in the last couple of weeks, you would be getting like a lower quality of care because hospitals are just slammed. So like on that mm. level too, it's a little scary to be out and driving sometimes in this current context because you're like, I really don't want to end up in the hospital right now. It doesn't seem like a good place anytime, but like right now, especially, seems a little more stressful. So it feels like the stakes are a little higher. I also think people definitely let their rage out while they're driving. And Mm -hmm. like, to some extent, like, I will definitely like yell, but within the confines of my vehicle, like and not honking or trying to, you know, interact with the person, but just for my own sort of like a weird self-soothing technique that like (laughs) is just being able to call them the most horrible name that comes to my mouth just feels sort of soothing because I'm like, I let my anger out and then it's gone. And like, I didn't escalate things because they couldn't hear me and I didn't flip them off or like do anything that would endanger me. Like, I'm not the kind of person who ever got road rage and then tail someone or like, you know, do something insane like that. And I've been in situations where people have done that to me and it's really fucking terrifying where like, you know, maybe I cut someone off a bit or like I was trying to pass, but my car wasn't going fast enough. And so like I slowed someone behind me down and they got really pissed off at me. So like, I'm definitely scared of sort of the volatility of other drivers, especially where I'm currently living in the Balkans. I can't drive right now, but when I have driven in the Balkans, people can be really aggressive sometimes with how they drive. And it's like when I drove in Turkey, there was a little, uh, you know, they're just a, they're a spirited people, which I loved because every celebration, everything was just so full of life, but yeah. uh, the roads were as well. Yeah, it's more just like there's a very small contingency of assholes who think that their fast car is more important than anything in the world. True. And so your presence on a highway is inconvenient to them and they will let you know it. So that's more kind of like what I'm I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so for me, I guess the biggest factor that stresses me out when I'm driving is just like not being able to control other people's actions. Sure. But I'm better about that when I'm the person behind the wheel because I can control my actions. Where I get really stressed is when I'm the passenger. Um, because I get super agitated if the driver isn't acting exactly as I would. Like if they're not slowing down at the exact speed I would to like a perceived obstacle. If I'm like, oh, did they notice that that car's brake lights just, you know, flickered a little bit? Like maybe they're slowing down up there. Maybe there's some lights up there slowing down. Oh, oh, did they notice that there's a dog on the side of the road did they notice like this did they notice that and it's just like my brain is still in like driver mode and I'm constantly scanning for you know potential fatal flaws you know or whatever in the driving situation and makes me so agitated (laughs) I I'm ridiculous I'm the worst person I was gonna say like you sound like the worst nightmare passenger (sighs) yeah here's what I want to know if I was driving you is this something that like you would be blurting things out loud and I would definitely resent you? Or is this all interior dialogue? I'd say like it's 80 to 90% interior and then Got 10 it. to 20% uncontrolled outbursts. <laughs> and are just like, oh, they're stopping. You know, like, oh, did you notice? <laughs> like, 
But mostly what you will notice if we ever do a road trip together is I have this really weird habit of pretending to break. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know it's like totally subconscious where like if I'm in the passenger seat, (laughs) if I'm in the passenger seat and like I know his cars up ahead are slowing and the driver hasn't started to slow and like kind of take that in. I'll start like pushing my foot down on the, oh my God. like on the, you know, whatever, just the footrest or whatever you call it, the foot bank. No, it's not a foot. What the fuck is a foot bank? The footwell? Footwell? I don't know. You're talking about the beside the pedal? So I'm mentally envisioning it first lawsuit? But- no, okay. So, like, just like the part underneath the glove box that's just floor, like where you put your feet if you're a passenger. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure I know the specific name. I think I just think of that as where I put my feet. <laughs> it's not a foot bank, Chris. I thought that was clearly um, it. So that is the um, that's the Latin <laughs> root. It's what they used uh, all those centuries ago. Uh, was that? But um, no, it's not not as commonly used now. But it probably speaks to your deep knowledge of. Oh, you know what? It actually is a footwell. It is oh, a dictionary wow. term. I just looked at it. So it is a word. Okay. So, so, yeah, so I pretend that I basically have a driver's ed style car that has like, you know, brakes on both sides. And like, <laughs> I'm just putting my little foot down to sort of soothe myself or like I'll like put pressure on myself in some way, like a sort of braking mechanism. That's usually what I do to try to keep myself from blurting things out. But then occasionally, you know, I blurt a couple things out and it's really annoying, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm like pretty controlled. I, it doesn't, it takes me a lot to get angry, but when I do, it's just like, it goes from zero to hundred really quickly. So I would say I am at least mildly famous for being pretty quick to throw the finger and uh, it's a pretty long and dramatic uh, middle finger. So it's Brie, but it's the sort of thing where like, I'll throw it in sort of Brie's defense. Like someone will cut off Brie and I'll throw it and she'll just burst out laughing because of she's like that was just a little too quick to the punch you know like that was a little <laughs> a little too aggressive like the fact that you went that quickly that was but you know but but laughing about it but i'm really just not out on the road all that much anymore breeze mostly i mean i mostly i mostly just bike around but, yeah. but even My now it's guess, oh sorry no no, no, no i was just gonna say even now it's just like it is canadian winter right now so biking not exactly the yeah. most fun yeah, bike skating. You could try that. That sounds like a great way to, you know, injure myself uh, <laughs> forever. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a middle finger person, but I am a gesticulating wildly with both arms, kind mm-hmm. of like a what are you thinking? Almost like an gotcha. Italian like Vafam culo kind of gesture, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh so, no, I know exactly. I was I was um yeah. I was picturing you in that situation. I did want to mention just something that came to my mind when we were talking about situations or just really following up on the fact that I said situation. So I'm just going to use it as an opportunity to talk about a situation. I have a, a good friend who has pretty significant driving anxiety. And she actually sat down one day and was like, okay, so what is it about driving that makes me anxious? And she realized that almost all of her anxiety around driving was related to two things, driving on the highway and driving mm-hmm. to new places. Because yeah. when she couldn't fully envision the journey, 
she could catastrophize too much or assign too much, you know, what if to that situation. So she's got a partner, lovely guy and a good friend of mine. And basically, if the journey requires highway driving, she just doesn't drive because she understands objectively that that's going to put her into too much of an anxious position. And if it's a place that they haven't gone before, then she also won't drive. But if he drives that route, the 30 minute drive to somewhere new or whatever, then she can drive home because she knows what the route is. So mm-hmm. the reason I bring that up is just because I think there are different elements of driving that can make people anxious. And so if there's anyone who's listening, who's really, really anxious about driving, you know, I would just, maybe that's helpful to sit down and think about what is it that I am anxious about and how can that still allow me to drive? Because she likes driving, right? And just been able to compartmentalize what's, works and doesn't work for her. And, you know, it's probably not quite as cut and dry as that, but that's generally what I took from it. That, Mm -hmm. you know, she can do certain drives, but not other drives. And she understands what it is about those drives that's going to work or not work for her. Yeah. I, for a while, had a really big fear of driving on the highway. Like I started driving when I was 15 and a half, 16. And it was kind of like in California, it's so hard to get around without driving. And like my parents were really tired of driving me around. And I was like just outside of walking distance from places I needed to go like school and stuff. So I learned to drive very young. And I was a pretty confident, you know, driver like uh, with most things until I left California and went to school in New York, obviously didn't bring my car there. And just getting out of practice with being on the highway and stuff, I started to get really scared when I came back. And I had a really paralyzing fear of merging onto the highway, like getting on the on-ramp. That was the thing that like, I just thinking about it, like, I think I had probably like one experience where like I got scared and had a close call in my mind or something, you know? And then I used that to just be like, oh my God, this is always terrifying. It's always hell. It's always scary. And I didn't drive on the highway for a couple years. And then eventually I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like where I lived, it's like I could, you know, there was really no way to get to a couple places without getting on the highway or like the journey would be like 30 minutes longer. And so I just kind of had to grip my teeth and get used to it. And yeah, so I had to get over that. But definitely highways are one of the scarier things for me just because I feel like the stakes are higher. And I really don't like merging or just like changing lanes and all that sort of stuff. I'm getting anxious just thinking about it, honestly. (laughs) And I wanted to mention, actually, because I was researching a little bit before the episode and they were talking about, you know, one of the biggest impact on people having anxiety around driving is a past negative experience that's Mm -hmm. basically crystallized into trauma, right? Yeah. And it's not dissimilar from other ways that you one might hope to combat trauma in this instance, in some cases, this is obviously going to be highly specific to the individual. And, you know, I'm not a medical professional here. I'm just kind of speaking about what I understand about the situation. But, you know, exposure in small doses can be helpful in overcoming things. So, you know, if you had an accident, which was traumatic or what have you, you know, for sure, the next time that you drive, going on the highway, or in any situation that could replicate how the accident happened is not going to be a wise idea. However, you know, if you know that you want to start driving, your job's dependent on or what have you, start by taking a drive around the block 
and then go two blocks and then go and just start to familiarize yourself with that because that is one way that we can challenge negative experiences is through that sort of direct exposure and you know that one way that we can try to shift the narrative of a really strong and traumatic memory is is to you're slowly chipping away at it by exposing yourself to something you know for example if you had extreme social anxiety because of one encounter that really became larger than life then starting small and talking for to somebody for a minute might be a good idea but you're not going to go from there to running a seminar in front of 100 people you know what i mean yeah it's slow and steady small 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 steps yeah, absolutely. I think that's the key. And that was how I sort of got comfortable with driving again after some experiences that weren't so positive. And even now I still have some anxiety with driving, especially with parking, because at one point I could parallel park. I could even parallel park on a San Francisco hill. Like that's how California I wow. was. But <laughs> I <laughs> no longer can park in almost any parallel spot and because it's like I wasn't driving for years and then in my hometown in California it's kind of like a big outdoor shopping mall essentially (laughs) with some residential buildings thrown around so there's just like parking lots everywhere where you just you know pull into a spot and paid parking is like fairly cheap. It's actually cheaper than street parking. So it's like, oh, cool. I never have to ever worry about parallel parking again. And then it's like, oh, shit. No, I moved to Sofia. And I had a license for a couple months before it expired where I would try to drive. And I fucking hate parallel parking. I just have really I've always struggled actually with visual spatial connections like right and left are actually really challenging for me and I had to like hold my left hand out into an L like while I was taking my driver's test so that I would actually take left and right properly because I still struggle with left and right it's just like it's not automatic in my head I just have some sort of spatial awareness issue I don't really know When I'm in a car now, I kind of know left and right because I know like left is cutting across like other lanes of traffic, right is like not doing that. So like I kind of have the muscle memory associated with it, but put me out in the wild and tell me left or right and I really have to think about it or look at my hands. So I'm actually, one thing I'm a little anxious about is the next time I'm in California, I have to get my driver's license back because I wasn't able to renew it online or by mail and too much time has passed since it expired. So now I think I have to take the whole test over again. And I'm like, Oh, God, I don't want to do that. Even though I've driven for 14 years, I still am really anxious about having to take a driver's test. (laughs) I don't think that's unusual. I would be anxious, not necessarily just about the test itself, but the process and the whole administration and the... The bureaucracy, it does give me a bit of the like the anxiety heebie-jeebies just because mm-hmm. I know that there is a certain amount of effort that has to go into it. And this makes me sound like um, next level lazy, but it's really not that. Like, it's just like, I just know that there's so many T's to cross and I's to dot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of little things and um, plus the small talk with the, uh, with the driving instructor. I don't even know yeah. how that would function right now, but... Yeah. Anyways, I don't want to ask your anxiety. You got this. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be stressful whenever that comes to pass. 
But yeah, you know, so those are my main anxieties around driving. I'm sure that there's like a million others that I'm too traumatized to even process right now going down that road. I didn't even mean for that to be a metaphor. That's how riled up driving gets me. We might need to make a future episode called I'm Still Anxious About Driving. Yeah. Maybe once I've gotten my license back and realize all the things I hate about driving. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking <laughs> we could actually do a part two where we're talking about your driving school experience and we can reference this episode and you can talk about how that was and yeah. we can talk about you know a few other aspects of it but you yeah know, I, I don't think i have to go back to driving school i think i just have to pass the test again gotcha okay okay fair enough I hope. yeah that that would make sense i think i think in my head i was picturing more of a situation that i could have just really enjoyed it could have been made into a sitcom you know <laughs> sitcom so that's where my head was at but yeah i think you're probably right you just go for that one test and you're you're good to go but I'm still curious to hear about the whole experience. And considering we release one episode every week and some of the topics that we dive into are pretty broad. I mean, I think we covered the future, right? I mean, like there's a million subtopics in there. There are going to be some instances where we're going to be revisiting things. It's just only mm-hmm. natural. There was one more thing that I wanted to mention just related to driving. And that was just that I was reading an article on um, the ADAA website, Anxiety and Depression Association of America. And they were just mentioning that, you know, one reason that people are anxious about driving is people with anxiety who have a high propensity for panic attacks. The idea of, you know, for example, being stuck in traffic and then experiencing a panic attack, you know, that fear is exacerbated by the notion that you're you're trapped in that place and you'd have to pull over or what have you. You know, driving is obviously an activity which requires a certain amount of attention and you know, you want you want to have your wits about you, right? And so the idea of sort of devolving into overwhelm is um, a little bit frightening. And mm-hmm. so that's just something that's worth considering, you know, f- for people. And I also just wanted to mention that for just out of respect for people that, you know, they aren't comfortable driving because of that. I, you know, I just wanted to empathize and say, I, I can understand that if you're somebody who is really prone to panic attacks and driving gives you that anxiety, then I can understand how that can be, you know, a legitimate, real issue that could prevent you from getting behind the wheel. But I also, you know, hope that um, you found some tactics that work, whether that's like my friend who she's only able to drive in certain positions or what have you. I mean, hopefully there's some work around there, but if there's not, that's okay too. We we all have different experiences and uh, we're all, you know, making our own way in this world, just trying our best, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely a real concern. Like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, my mom had a panic attack while she was driving. And I think it was one of her first panic attacks. And she actually like had to pull over, wait to calm down. Then she checked herself into the hospital because she thought maybe she had had like a heart attack or something, Mm -hmm. you know, more severe. If you're not familiar with panic symptoms, it's really easy to think that something a lot more physically serious has gone on with your body because it's just such an all-encompassing, overwhelming feeling. So, of course, it's absolutely terrifying to have that experience while you drive. I've been fortunate to not have any panic attacks while I'm driving. I've had, like, light nervous meltdowns while on Icelandic roads that haven't gone (laughs) into... I like the qualifier of light nervous meltdowns. I'm kind of like negotiating with myself to like get myself through the panic, like rather than letting myself devolve by like my strategy of counting the kilometers ticking away, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I was pretty on the edge there. 
And I'm just going to segue into one other thing that I remember sure. that makes me anxious. So I'm extremely sensitive to motion sickness as well. And I find that the way that some people drive is like very jerky feeling to me and really triggers my nausea. And it's like people who kind of are like overly aggressively like gassing and braking kind of. And it's like, you know, you can just go a consistent speed, right? Like if you're on the highway, like you don't need to like zoom and then slow down and zoom and slow down. You can just take a speed. And then also I get this more often when people are driving manual cars just because it involves more. Yeah, exactly. And I'm someone who experiences anxiety a lot more in my body than in my head, right? So I Mm. often will feel physical sensations of anxiety before I even realize that there's like an anxious train of thought going around. And so sometimes my body just confuses that actual nausea with anxiety. And then it becomes like a snake eating its own head kind of loop, you Mm. know, where it's like, well, I started off just nauseous, but then I got anxiety about the nausea and now I'm nauseous and anxious and nauseous and and it just kind of goes in a circle. So that's another reason why I don't love being a passenger. That's fair. That makes sense to me. I I like that you brought that up actually about the physical side effects of anxiety and how that can almost spur anxiety. And Mm -hmm. I've talked about this before, but I have, you know, stomach issues and stuff like that. And if my stomach's upset, I have to like legitimately be like, okay, is this because I like ate something? Like, did I decide it was okay to eat 14 slices of pizza last night? Or is this telling me that I'm anxious about something? And you, you almost have to like disseminate what's going on here. You're like, am I anxious? What am I anxious about? What's going on? And you, it, it's, it's, um, it's a bit of a snake in its own tail thing where you, then all of a sudden you, you almost get anxious about being a detective trying to figure out the source <laughs> of the anxiety. And uh, totally. yeah, it's that fun loop there. Mm-hmm. I think we're thinking that this episode probably wouldn't be a behemoth and thus maybe we can slip into a couple of tips. Um, I think we you know, did a good job of sprinkling a few here and there, but were there any tips that came to mind for you that you thought maybe this would be helpful for people who are anxious about driving or just anything you've noticed or crystallized? And if not, you can uh, throw it back to me and buy yourself time, whatever you want. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think just sort of knowing what your comfort zone is and not limiting yourself to staying within that comfort zone, but also being willing to be like, "Uh, I don't like to do that. I don't like to drive for more than X hours without stopping. Or I know that there's going to be traffic at this point. So I'm going to wait until X. Like, I think there are ways to kind of work with your anxiety to try to short circuit some of the common missteps or not missteps, but like points of friction that you anticipate. Mm -hmm. I think it can be helpful. It's sort of like what we were talking about in the previous episode about like negative visualization, like, Mm -hmm. okay, what are a couple of the things that like I could encounter on this drive? You know, oh, I know that these stoplights are all horrifically timed and if I get it wrong I will lose like 10 minutes so maybe I should leave 10 minutes earlier or like I really hate that road when there's this other road that goes like this or like I hate tunnels so I'm going to take the scenic route over the mountain or I don't know there are things that you can do that can help to just avoid some of the things without avoiding the task entirely 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Some things that are related to that. This isn't necessarily anxiety related, but my mom just knows she's not comfortable driving at night. So my dad will yeah. drive at night, you know, and it's like, that's a simple workaround. It's just, you know, something understood. My, my dad will take the wheel at night and that, that works out well. Also to your point, I think the whole timing thing makes a lot of sense. I'm anxious when I'm driving somewhere and it looks like I'm going to be late because I hate being Same. late and disappointing people. Mm-hmm but I'm also terrible at leaving on time. So I have to be very deliberate about making sure that I leave 10, 15 minutes earlier. And sure, I might get somewhere 10 minutes early, but the 25 minutes or whatever that took me to get there was so much more bearable, right? Like I'm not arriving at a red light being like, come on, come on, come on, come on, right? Like you have that relaxed, more relaxed approach. And Mm -hmm. I find as well too, like if I'm, if I'm anxious, familiarity helps, right? So if you're an anxious driver, I'd really recommend like finding a radio station that feels like you're getting wrapped in a familiar blanket or listening to a podcast that always makes you feel at ease. Like us. Oh, like us. Yes, exactly. Maybe not this episode while you're driving, but like that's just something a little bit too meta. But uh, yeah, exactly. Nice pitch there. It's a nice shout out for us. Also, yeah, you know, maybe people haven't heard of us, you know? That's right. And although one would imagine if they're listening right now that they have heard of us. I know. That was the well, joke. They, they like, yeah, no, I, I know. I was I was extending the joke. It's just that I think that just really fell apart. And we gotta put this car back together and get it back on the road here. So that will probably be my final metaphor. I, I was pretty good with metaphors this episode. So I think I bought myself that one. Um the other thing that I wanted to mention as far as as tips go is I would like breathing, I find is a huge help if I'm feeling a little stressed or tense. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason that you can't get to a red light and you're feeling a little bit anxious or what have you. And you can't take one good breath. I know the meditation teacher, I I like her, um, her name is Sharon Salzberg. And she's kind of famous for mindfulness and meditation and stuff. One of the most simple meditations she offers is the idea of breathing in for two seconds and then breathing out for four seconds. Or if that's too extensive, to breathe in for one second and breathe out for two. Because when you are breathing out for longer than you're breathing in, you are essentially slowing yourself down forcefully. Like it, it's, a, it's a physiological way that we can slow ourselves down. And so if you're really stressed or you just find you, you perhaps you're on a drive and you're just more high strung than you thought, getting to a red light, I wouldn't recommend uh, closing your eyes for long periods of time with a red light because that light does turn green. But if you arrive there and it just turns red, I think you have full license to close your eyes for a second, breathe in for two seconds and breathe out for four. And that's a, a good way to ground yourself again. So that's the tip that came to mind for me. That breathing technique, by the way, is really applicable anytime, anywhere. That's something that I will often do if I find I'm getting really stressed out, I'll breathe in for two seconds and breathe out for four seconds. And if I need to do it five times, 10 times, whatever, that's great. Also for people who don't know, if you just type breathing exercise into Google, it brings up a one minute breathing exercise that literally just kind of walks you through a little breath. So that can be something else that seems like an applicable tip. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Yeah. I use the same tip. Like I don't necessarily do two seconds, four seconds, but like, I think I usually do like three, six, but the point is like roughly to sort of double the length of your inhale on the exhale. That's right. Exactly. One or two, 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 four, three, six. Yeah. You know, you might not want to do like 36, 72. That might be, (laughs) that might make you more anxious. Um, I'm imagining pulling up to a light. 
<laughs> up to a light when someone's trying to do that and like um that person looks like they're in distress <laughs> yeah so definitely don't do 3672 but i think up to single digits is probably okay <laughs> I, I agree single digits works <laughs> yeah i just was um gonna ask if there's anything else you wanted to tackle no i think that's it i think for now we have covered my driving anxieties and when i am licensed I was about to say license to kill. And I'm like, nope, nope. Shit, nope not, not putting that out there. Reverse. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely reverse there. Yeah, yeah. Reverse that. Once I am licensed to drive peacefully and safely and lawfully and respectfully again, um, I'll probably have some new tidbits to share about that journey. For sure. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. I think we, we touched upon a bunch of stuff that's uh, we can wrap a bow on all this stuff and we'll wrap a bow on it the same way we always Chris, do. I which feel is... like we need a wrap a bow counter for how many times you said wrap a bow. What do you think? So we have, I think this is like our 38th or 39th episode. How many times do you think I've said wrap a bow when moving to the final? Like, are we talking I'd over say, a dozen or? I'd say batting about 80% wrapping yeah, a bow. It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. So I'm not even going to really. It might even be 3,000 times. Yeah. Chris likes Yeah, both. I mean, I really want to put up a good defense here, but I don't think I have one. I think this is a... This is a You're rap. just a bow wrapper. You just That's thought it right. was you, I, you know are. What? I've been called worse, Allison, so I'm fine with it. <laughs> probably by me on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, maybe we should maybe we should count that. Let's back away from the counting the bow wrapping and and go to the insulting for my loving and colloquial terms. <laughs> okay, that's so. <laughs> I'm to um, move to the next segment without wrapping anything on anything. No, no bows. The Grinch stole them all. Exactly, the zero bows. I'm Miss even. Grinch stole Christmas. She stole the bows. She stole the stole bows. I even hate archery now because of bows and all this stuff. So <laughs> I'm out of it. I know you haven't had the easiest week, but I know as well that even in difficult weeks, there's always something and sometimes especially something that we can pat ourselves on the back for. So I'd love to know if there's anything you are patting yourself on the back for small, big, anything in between? Yeah, I guess I've just been getting a little bit less volatile with my emotions and sort of just like letting myself feel the full range of feelings and mm. rather than trying to resist them, just to be like, all right, this is here. You can camp out here for a bit, anxiety or sadness or grief or shame or guilt or whatever. This isn't your home. You don't get to live here, but like you can stay the night and like it's going to be okay. So I guess just kind of like moving through the sad and negative emotions and trying to like fight against the current less and just sort of, I don't know, just sit with how I feel. And mm. I've been doing a really nice series of uh meditations on simple habit i think the series is called mm -hmm. emotional mindfulness oh, nice. and it's just about like you know find how an emotion feels in your body like what size is it where do you feel it how does it feel like i don't know just sometimes somehow just being like i have anxiety i feel it 
in my chest. I feel a tightness. It goes from like my shoulder to the bottom of my ribs and just putting like very tangible words about what my anxiety physically feels like. It's kind of like, oh yeah, like this is truly just body sensations. And that's been helping a lot, actually. Just It is important to be able to diagnose and treat mental illness, and that's why labels are helpful. But I think, in a way, it can do us sometimes a disservice to think of it as some sort of, like, horrible flaw with our bodies, like some sort of defect, mm-hmm. when really it's just a feeling that we can experience for like a finite amount of time and then you'll feel something else you know what I mean and it's like in that way it's not really extremely different than a headache or like stomach cramps or a backache or like other uncomfortable things you know and so like trying to think of it as like this isn't categorically different than other things that I feel. Yeah, it's not an extreme defect that I have. Like when I get a headache, I don't think, wow, what a piece of shit I am. <laughs> you know, like- right, right. Exactly. Like you don't go into like all these moral judgments about mm-hmm. like yourself and your limitations. And well, maybe I do a little bit when I'm hungover. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have more grace with yourself, right? When it's something that's physical. Like if you messed up your knee you wouldn't be like god i'm horrible for having a hurt knee you'd just be like my knee hurts and i think it's kind of interesting that with anxiety we don't really do the same thing so i guess it's not i can't really put a specific thing on it but i guess just sort of being able to sit with anxiety sensations is something i've been practicing and it definitely helps to catastrophize less when you're just Mm -hmm. like oh yeah this like literally will pass yeah i think that's really on point couldn't agree more and yeah a lot of good stuff there that's i'm sure we can dive into more that kind of stuff in other episodes but that's Mm -hmm. i think that's really on point yeah and then i I guess i shall just talk about i guess one thing i'm patting myself on the back for is just uh yesterday i just I, i don't take many days off that's to my detriment and I sometimes need to. So I had made sure that Saturday was going to be off, but then I kind of woke up feeling off, as you can imagine, post whiskey. And so I all jokes aside, I just like, I was struggling the entire day. I just felt like I was definitely pointing the finger at myself, like, look at you. Like, look what you did. You got, you know, (laughs) you drank and, you know, so, and then I kind of had to spend the day picking that apart and being like, it's all right. You had a little bit of whiskey with some friends you don't see anybody or do anything ever like this all right and i actually around like 4 p.m i was just like i gotta find a way to make sure i enjoy this day because i you know i'm working a lot of other days or what have you so i listened to a few guided meditations with titles like beating ourselves up dropping the blame game frustration buster (laughs) (laughs) i just like literally sat there uh with some meditation teachers that were I'm familiar with on the 10% app or what have you and just like worked through like 30 minutes of getting there and and there was one by a meditation teacher named Orin J. Sofer and he just had a line that was just like basically saying like look everybody like nobody's perfect calm mm-hmm. down you know you it's so easy when you you know, not that, not that like drinking whiskey is criminal and you should feel horrible about it or what have you, but you you wake up and you feel 
for me, I feel hungover. I'm like looking for ways to point to what a crappy person I am. Like you, you already feel physically deficient and then you're mentally like, well, I better hop on board this train and just make sure you feel like full garbage. And there's also some physiological stuff, of course, where you're like, you're depleted of certain things physically that you like, you're not your full self or what have you. But anyways, I'm patting myself on the back for feeling a bit broken and disregarded and actually taking steps to put myself back together instead of ordering McDonald's. Mm, You should have ordered McDonald's though too. Chicken nuggets for a hangover. Miracle. Yeah, I know. I, this is, I, it's funny you actually it's mentioned that. I wanted to Chris. You could do the nugs and the meditation. Okay, so this is like almost the full circle <laughs> moment where it's like you can have like something and have anxiety towards it. This yeah, is like the full circle. Dream, Chris. Yeah, I know. I, you know what? Actually, like I I went to sleep last night and I was like, man, I could have McDonald's. Um, but I just knew no. I wouldn't feel the best afterwards. I think that Always probably. That probably ensures that my pat on the back is a little destroyed um, because now I want McDonald's really bad. I'm, I'm like not patting myself on the back for that. But all that to say, I should mention that at the very least, kind of like you, I appreciate that I was proactive in trying to feel better mm-hmm. as opposed to relishing in feeling like shit. And I mean that in like loose terms, but like, you know what I mean? When you're feeling down and you're like, yeah. you know, you're instead of putting on something, a meditation that might help you get out of it or so on and so forth, you put on like some, like, I don't know, dramatic song that you know brings you into Weepville. Yeah. Or it's like when you're pissed off and you have a headache, but you like are too pissed off to even take medication. You're just like, I'm just going (laughs) to sit with this headache because I deserve it. At least that's what I do sometimes. I was going to say, that sounds like (laughs) classic Allison flagellation. Yeah. Pretty much. Oh, man. Well, yeah, I still think I'm not going to say rap bow on it again, but okay. I do think we shall, we shall move to the, next week. Yeah. Chris is anxious about bows. Yeah, I, I probably <laughs> will be. You know, I, I'm half expecting Ryan to post in the we're anxious about group with a with some sort of image of like me hating hating bows or wrapping bows or something like that. That's a little pitch, by the way. If you want to join us, we have a little community called We're Anxious About on Facebook that we're happy to have you in. But without the wrap a bow, I just don't know how to finish this, Allison. <laughs> just do like an Irish accent. Just be like, okay, okay, I got to go. I got to go. Goodbye. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Let's try it. Uh, right. Got to go. Uh, got to go, uh, everyone. Yeah, we got to go. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Uh, see you All next right. week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>